it's not a question of whether we're worshiping or not. But the question is, what are we worshiping? Welcome to the Celebration Community Church podcast, where we exist to meet God, grow in Him, and serve through Him. Welcome to the C3 podcast. My name is Nathan. And my name is Derek. Honestly, Derek, it will help me a lot in my production of this podcast to have a specific title. I would like to go for Podcast Dictator. Okay. What thoughts do you have about that? Um, I like Podcast Dictator. I think that that's a a great um, title for you because I just do whatever you say. May I add that to my job description? Yes. Worship and Discipleship Director and podcast dictator. I would also go more democratically, podcast president or uh, podcast oligarch. That okay. would be okay with me as well. Okay. Um, you know, I, I like dictator. I think that it I think it gives a more clear definition of of, of how you run this operation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I take the spoils of this podcast and uh, <laughs> they're all for me. Um, we're gonna be talking about worship today. Mm-hmm. What is worship? How might we go about worshiping? But first and foremost, Derek, what is the most embarrassing or most quote-unquote human thing that has ever happened to you leading worship, doing worship? I'll go first. There are two that immediately come to mind. There was a a day uh, that there was a message about the fruits of the Spirit, Uh and we had just gotten finished with with singing like a super powerful hymn, and people are are feeling super reverent. Mm -hmm. And then I distinctly remember the, the pastor that was preaching asked us, to sing the kids' song, The Fruit of the Spirit is Not a Coconut. So, <laughs> yes, so I I'm, do remember I'm sitting this. here, and I think I just had to apologize to people. And we did this. Uh, it was a full band production. I mean, yeah. everyone was playing it together. Um, but it was, uh, it was very, very embarrassing. The second thing that I can think of is, well, I mean, I always forget the lyrics to songs. Right, of course. Um, but there was a, a point in um, our service for Easter, I think it was 2016 or 2017, that I just stopped speaking English during <laughs> one of the songs. It was Death in His Grave by John Mark McMillan. And I actively went into a place where I, I don't think I was speaking in tongues, but okay. I was pretty close right. to right. it. There wasn't an interpreter around, so we weren't sure. And okay. it certainly wasn't English, I can tell you that. <laughs> And not just for like two or three words, yes, but probably the entire verse. Uh huh. You know, I think that for me, when I'm playing music, I struggle to stand still. Um, I move quite often, so there have been many times where where I have tripped over a chord or or gone to reach for a pedal and completely missed it and almost fell over. Um, but you know, I, I have not had too many, I think most of the time I catch myself without too many people noticing or recognizing that that happens. Now you're all going to be watching that every time I'm playing in church. But, um, but I, I do remember, um, very closely coming to falling off of the stage at a youth conference one time. And, um, cause we were just getting a little rowdy and having fun with the youth. 
um, when I was when I was a college student, and and we were jumping around, and I just about. I probably would have blown out both knees instead of just the one I did during track. So um, I would say that's probably the closest I've come to really just falling flat on my face and embarrassing myself during worship. I think that there's something so human about having like imperfection within a, a worship service and not to like switch gears and go from, Oh, this is a fun question to something super deep and theological because uh, boring, but I think that God asks us to bring our our whole selves and an imperfection is welcome yeah. within that that whole self. So you can probably notice at least 5 to 6 times a weekend I will mess up something and I will always do this Kim Walker Smith laugh. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so annoying. I wish that I didn't do it, but it's almost this like knee jerk autonomous reaction. If I mess up, I laugh into the microphone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just stop. (laughs) And, and I know that, that you'll agree with this, Nathan, though, that the thing that's so awesome about leading worship and having a a pure heart and doing it and, and, I'm so proud of all of our our worship team and, and our tech team and the work together to do this. But we've had some of the worst practices ever that have led to some of the most worshipful worshipful moments yeah. um, in our church. And we've had some of what we would feel from a musical standpoint are some of the worst songs or sets that we've ever put together. But God still showed up and made a super powerful moment. And so, you know, I think for me, that's probably one of my favorite things about being a part of the worship team and leading worship at at the church is it's not about us. And right. it's not about how well we perform. Um, it's about our hearts being right and God showing up and doing what he's going to do. Those moments are just tangible reminders that it's not about you, that the worship of God Almighty is not contingent on your ability to play right. an instrument. Thank goodness. Or, yeah, seriously. If it was, uh, it'd be a much worse place that our church would be in. <laughs> you started to touch on something. That, that I think is a good segue. You started to say the worship team or the tech team or other things happening. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me that that worship means more than the act of singing Jesus songs together. So how would you go about defining worship and what has been the most edifying experience for you in terms of Christian worship? Sure. Um, you know, in defining worship, this is something that comes up, you know, whether it was for, for me in seminary or we've we've had a, a C3LA, a Celebration Community Church Leadership Academy, where we have a whole section on basically what is worship and even have the the students write a paper on what is worship and, and start at the beginning of the of the unit with what are their thoughts about worship and then end it with writing basically the exact same paper and, and after after going through some study, um how how has your view of worship changed and you know, worship is very often thought of as as singing or a song or a an album put out by an artist. Uh, but worship is so much more than that. It is that, but it's so much more than that. And it's a little little cliche. Um, if you've been around the church a lot, you've probably heard this um, to say worship is a lifestyle. 
but there's a reason that it's presented that way. There's a reason that that saying exists, because that's the biblical model of worship, that really everything we do should be worship. And I know that um, we're going to hit on on that as we go throughout this podcast. But for, for me personally, as much as I love leading worship at the church, and as much as I love um, being a part of that, the moments where where I feel worship is is the most important to me or the most impactful to me is is in those small, still, quiet moments uh, with God. Whether that's reading Scripture or that's uh, praying or or listening to to worship music while just slowing down and pausing. Um, you know, I'm I'm a person who likes to get a lot of stuff done. And so I think that a lot of times in my busyness, I miss opportunities to, to worship God. Um, and so for me, it's very important to slow down and focus in. And I think those are the moments where I feel most impacted or, or most in reverence and honor to God and what I'm doing, as opposed to just trying to get as much stuff done as possible. Worship can feel like there is an absence of tangible results Sure, And especially for a results-driven person like you, you're well accomplished and you like to see, oh, this is where my time has gone. Right. It's really difficult to do that when you think about God, because God is in many ways intangible, whereas when I finish building a fence, Mm -hmm. there's physical evidence that I can see, that I can touch. But I think we all would probably, if we're Christians, say... Uh, worship of God is worth it because it starts to transform who we are. It starts to conform us to to the likeness of Christ. You know, last time in our podcast, we talked about words having baggage. And I think that the word worship is one that is not immune to that uh, that baggage. Sure. And I find myself when when I welcome the church when we come in, I, I always say, let's stand up and worship together. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say that, but it's not wrong. Right. I mean, so I don't want to say, let's stand up and worship through singing, though we could be worshiping in other ways. You don't um, have to give a, give right, a definition. I don't want to have to give a qualifier. qualifier so yeah. at the very least, I think when we're talking about gathered Christian worship, it is singing together. Right. So one of one of the things while we talk about the fact that worship isn't singing, mm-hmm. uh, isn't just singing for right. this entire podcast. We we have to keep in the back of our, our minds, but it is right. you know worship is singing, provided that we are singing rightly mm-hmm. and singing to each other. Right. Um, so I'm going to try to divorce the word worship from any sort of um, religious connotation right now. Uh And I think that this is a really helpful model. I I read a book called The Worship Pastor, Shocker, um, by this guy named (laughs) Zach Hicks. And this is a graphic that he uses to describe what worship is. And I want you to picture concentric circles like the Target logo. Uh I know Hayes doesn't have a Target, so... Most people uh, are familiar with the Hopefully, Hopefully they understand. But the outermost concentric circle would be worship. And this is the act of giving awe or devotion to something or someone. Do you think that that has any sort of religious undertone there? Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> Some of my favorite com- like cultural commentators are, are ones that, that 
dismiss the idea of uh, a dichotomy between sacred or secular. Mm. And I think that this definition of worship helps us to do that as well, to see that it's not a question of whether we're worshiping or not, but the question is, what are we worshiping? If we allow ourselves not to think about what we're doing, we can worship political parties. Sure. We can worship sports teams. Yeah. We can worship uh, public figures. And it's okay to like things. Right. I don't mean that if I like something, if I like the Dallas Cowboys like you, which yeah. uh, thank God that I'll never do. Um, <laughs> we're still working on it. <laughs> it's all right to enjoy the activity that I see. Yeah. It's very easy, however, to subconsciously spend my life wanting to know the Dallas Cowboys more, the inner yeah. workings of their organization, the potential of trades, and I miss out on opportunities of connecting with God because I have given my devotion elsewhere. Right, and, and I think that you know and that is that is such an easy thing to do. You know, it, I I love the Dallas Cowboys. I have since I was a little boy. My dad was a fan. My uncles were fans, um, and it was a good time for me to be born and grow up as a as a kid in the '90s with with Aikman and Irvin and Smith and winning Super Bowls and and being the best team and being America's team. Um, it was a good time to be a Cowboys fan. So that really just just ingrained in me be a fan, but you're exactly right. I could spend all day long on blogs and podcasts and things about the Dallas Cowboys, and I could learn the ins and outs of everything that's going on. And and I could sit at home in the evenings instead of spending time with my family reading about the Dallas Cowboys and learning about them. But I'm missing the opportunity to be the person that God's called me to be, to be the father, to be the husband, and most importantly, to, to be the, the follower of him. And, and if I'm allowing th my love for the Cowboys to overshadow my love for, for Jesus or my love for my family or the things that God's calling me to do, then there's a problem there. My worship is in the wrong place if it's worshiping the Dallas Cowboys. Right. And to reiterate, I think that it's so important to allow ourselves to enjoy simple pleasures. Absolutely. Like being able to enjoy sports or being able to enjoy music that may not be music that we would sing at, at church. Right. It's the point when we're subconscious about what that is doing to us, of how our intake of that content is shaping us. So it, this isn't a call to um, burn all of your CDs right. and um, your Cowboys uniforms, but it is a, a, a mention to be uh, cognitively aware of what you're doing right. with your time and, and how you're spending your time and, and hopefully to reclaim that to line up with your values. Yeah, I think there's very few people that would say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to plan to neglect everything else in my life because I love the Dallas Cowboys. Right. I'm gonna commit everything to them. I don't think that that's a conscious thing that a lot of people would do for whether that's a sports team or or, or whatever the the case is. 
I think it's this subconscious thing or, or maybe just a lack of consciously thinking about it mm-hmm. and, and really evaluating where we're at that, that we get distracted sometimes um, because of things that we enjoy. And like you said, I think there's, there's definitely a place and God wants us to enjoy things and he wants us to be, um, be able to, to have fun with things like that. But if those things are distracting us and, and limiting our opportunity to, to honor him or to honor the things he's calling us to do, that's where there becomes a problem. I guess it's self-evaluation has to happen as, as part of this. Right. So to, to kind of refocus, uh, we've just been talking about the fact that, that worship is the act of giving awe, yeah. devotion, time, money, um, attention to something or someone. And I want to move in from the outermost concentric circle to the next concentric circle, and that one is going to be Christian worship specifically. So you'll notice how um, worship is actually a more inclusive term. And as we go in on these circles, we will get more exclusive. So Christian worship, I would define as the act of giving awe, devotion, time, resources um, to God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe let's talk about in, in this concentric circle, the, the biblical precedent for worship. Is worship confined to one part of the Bible, or where do we find worship within the Bible? I think we find worship in the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Um, and again, if we, if we say that, that worship is a lifestyle and we <clears throat> talk about giving awe to, to God, that happens from beginning to end. Um, in in scripture, and we, we see it at the very beginning in Genesis when we're talking about you know the garden and Adam and Eve in the garden. God gives them this incredible place, and He asks them to take care of it. Their right. worship to God at that time is taking care of the garden and taking care of what God has given them and giving Him on reverence. And there's one thing <laughs> that they can't do, right. right? That He asks them not to do, and yet they they still fall into that that sin that separates them from, from God, just as we all would have if we were in that situation. Um, but, but we see from the very beginning, worship is a part of the story um, and the very first humans that God creates. Let's, let's just start in the biblical text, and let's look at like Genesis 1. After God creates humanity, his first... Um, his first directive is to be fruitful and to multiply, right. to go and take care of the earth and cause flourishing to occur. Right. Um, so I would say that that God's first command is a command of worship, yeah. is to recognize where this stuff comes from, from me, God, and and then to cause it to flourish. Yeah. Um, cause it to be better because of your interaction with it. Um, then fast forward to Genesis 3, and I think that that, that act of, of taking of the fruit and eating it is Adam and Eve's decision to, to choose their own way right. to flourishing. Instead of God's directives... Yeah. which are do these things and also do not do this one thing. Right. Um, they say, oh, no, 
in order for me to flourish, I should do this thing that God has commanded me not to do. Right. Instead of worshiping and honoring God with what they are to do and their decisions, they make a decision that we want to be like God, because this is what the enemy has told them, that if they'll just eat from this tree, they can be just like God, that the only reason he doesn't want them to eat from this tree is because they will become like him. So instead of honoring and worshiping God, they make a decision of, I want to be God. And it's a selfish decision. It's a, it's a personal gain decision that Adam and Eve make. Agreed. Let's maybe fast forward through Genesis 1 through 11, not that they're not important, but right. that's where we, Genesis 12 is where we start to see the story of Israel mm-hmm. and where Abraham really comes onto the scene. What does worship look like for, for Abraham? You know, I, I think for a lot of what we see throughout um, uh, Genesis and in the Old Testament as a whole, is it's this these acts of of worship that are are kind of ritual acts that are um, sacrifices that are are these opportunities to in essence be made right before God um, through what they are willing to give and sacrifice. Yeah. the The construction of an altar is typically an act of worship, and this right. is a place to to offer burnt offerings to God. Um, and I think that this comes up very specifically in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Right. So God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son mm-hmm. on an altar to him. So, you know, when when we look at worship in this sense, we see that worship requires something of us as well. Um I'm going to go a little faster through <laughs> the the rest of the Old Testament. Not that it's not. We're not going to go through every book of the Bible today. That's okay. that's right. But um, but that we're just in a different part of the narrative of the story of God now as Christians. Yeah. We sh- we should be aware of how things were, but that may not inform how things are now and how they are to be. Um, so the Levitical laws have to do with like just what you said with with sacrificing with rituals to be made right or clean um to be able to talk to god for um for healing for the absolvement of sin jesus really throws a huge change into this system how how would you describe as as a a pastor the shift of worship after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, mm-hmm. I think that the the best way that I I can describe it is is in the Old Testament. Prior to Jesus, we see all of these ritual acts, these things that that we have to do to be made right before God. These sacrifices that have to be made by His people um, to be seen pure and holy and right before. God and then then when Jesus comes and, and you know we're told this is this is the lamb the 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 messiah the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf and that changes everything and and to where we don't have to make those ritual sacrifices anymore and what it really does is and maybe in in some ways it makes it a little bit more difficult is it now becomes a matter of the heart 
And, you know, Jesus doesn't come and get rid of the Ten Commandments. He comes and kind of takes them up a notch. You know, your law says, do not murder someone. I say, do not even have hate for them in your heart, right? The law says, do not commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at someone lustfully, right? And so Jesus changes things to where it's not this ritual thing, but it's now a matter of our hearts and our love towards God that that should change, that makes us right and pure through that sacrifice of Jesus. Um, but but from a day-to-day standpoint, it almost becomes a little bit more difficult because now our, our thoughts and and our actions are, are a result of what we worship and what we care about and what we honor and what we do. Um, and it's not just like, well, okay, I did some bad things. Here's here's a goat. Let's put it on the altar so I can feel good again, right? Like yeah. there's there's parts of it that that make it a little bit harder, it appears. God says through Isaiah that he's had enough of burnt offerings. Right. He takes no delight in sacrifices, in the worship of the Israel people because they have honored with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Something that Jesus also... Um, yeah, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, Jesus is actually referencing back to those words in Isaiah when he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus is saying it's not about the rules. It's not about the ritual. It's not about that. It's about what's in your heart that then from your heart, your lips speak and your worship from your lips. Is, if your heart's not pure, if your heart's not right in it, then what your lips are saying is 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 vain. It's, it's, it's worthless. So when, when we think about Christian worship being to God, an act of, of devotion to God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we have to focus on Jesus as the central character, you know, um, we sing a song called Before the Throne of God Above um, that talks about Jesus being the great high priest. Um, and it, it's through God, uh, or excuse me, it's through Jesus. Um, in, in Timothy, it, it talks about there being one mediator between God and humanity, and that being Jesus right. and Jesus alone. So we can give our awe and our devotion to God because of the redemptive work of Jesus. Yeah. So... Maybe we we move even further into that that final circle, um, and that's going to be the gathered Christian worship. Last week we talked about community, and we talked about the importance of being with people, right. and worshiping with people is a biblical imperative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can think of off the top of my head, Colossians three sixteen and 17, it says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you as you sing to one another. Yeah. Um, so it, it sounds as if we're to worship together, and how might we go about worshiping together? Yeah, I think that there's there's a part of our service, there's a part of our worship service, so we include the title of worship there. There's a part of our worship service that's titled worship, um, which in essence means singing. But I think that, you know, as we're planning services, we look at every single part of that as an opportunity of, of worship, whether that be communion, whether that be um, reading of the scriptures, the message, the songs, the even as we look at videos, and even if it's fun and humor, there's a way to do that in in a way that is is honoring and a way that's not honoring. And when we have a Cletus and Harry video, that gets very questionable. Uh, but but I think that just helps us uh, go into uh, 
<laughs> confession. Right, and the confession, exactly. Um, but I think that if we were to take what we do as a church and to only look at worship songs as our opportunity to worship, we'd really miss the point because because worship should be a part of everything that we're doing throughout our gathered time, whether that be the services on a weekend, that be a small group gathering during the week, a Bible study, a, a event we have. It should all go through this lens of, of worship and, and how do we honor God with what we're doing. Yeah, I think that that's a good point, that gathered Christian worship may not be the complete gathering of the Christian body. And indeed, until Christ's return, Mm -hmm. we won't have the entire Christian body because it's not geographically possible. However, when we are with fellow believers, our actions should be informed by the unity in our devotion to God through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that we do that is is through singing, right. absolutely. But I think that it was important that you touched on the other ways by which we can worship mm-hmm. uh, during our service. And I think that as we look at the spectrum of Christian traditions, theology aside, which the, don't hear me saying theology is not important, but... What I'm, I'm saying here is that different traditions have made different um, styles or methods of worship right. um, hierarchically above other styles. So if I think of a, a more charismatic, a Pentecostal tradition, there is a real emphasis on worship as singing. And those people are incredibly zealous Mm -hmm. that God is amongst them during that, that he is is doing things within the service. And I think that if we were aware of the presence of God within our worship service and expecting him to do great things, that we would be completely edified. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I think that goes a little overboard into God is going to do X for me because I sang to him. So there is a, a... a give here, um, but it's it's good to take the best of every tradition and to make something more consummate. Right. For for the reformed um, group or or maybe a more Baptist group, the preaching of the Word of God Hallelujah. is the emphasis. <laughs> hey man, uh, <laughs> my. My family is from Kentucky, where yeah. there is a Southern Baptist church on every corner, uh-huh. and everywhere you go, hey man, hey man, hey man. Yeah, um, no, but they they emphasize the preaching of the word. That's yeah. where God's presence is most important. Right. Um, and I think that that's a good thing to mm-hmm. think about as well. Is that the Holy Spirit is actually aiding us in our understanding of what is happening in the scriptures through the pastor and through his study and through our listening and our development as Christians. Uh So we shouldn't devalue other methods. This singing is not a warm-up for a sermon, but God is equally present and working when we sing as when we listen to a message, when we listen to the preaching of the Word of God. More liturgical expressions of faith tend to emphasize the presence of God within sacraments. Yeah. What has the word sacrament meant to you 
over the years? Because you grew up in a more liturgical tradition. Right. Yeah. You know, it it was seen as, as you know, kind of more of that ritual um, type of thing for, for me growing up of going through these classes that allowed me to take the sacrament of communion or allowed me to to be a part of certain parts of the service. And so I, I think that, that that's something that as I've, as I was go, growing out of that and as I had some, some personal baggage that I needed to deal with to get over some of my preconceived notions of why those things were done, um, I kind of went to the other end of the spectrum and, and wanted to avoid those liturgical things but but as I've grown in in my understanding of, of faith and in understanding of scripture I see that there can be power in those those things um, in those you know repetitive things that we're doing in in honor of God and and again all of this stuff that you talked about the different styles of of denominations and ways of doing things that focus more on on music or more on the the preaching of the word um, it's not either or it's and, yes. um, and and so are the liturgical things. Like, and and the important part is not the emphasis that we put on a certain act of worship or or a certain area. It's that everything we do should be an act of worship. And yeah. so, whether that's singing, whether that's listening to the word, whether that's preaching the word, whether that's setting in a small group, whether that's going through something that appears to be ritual ritualistic, if we're doing it with a pure heart and a right heart before God that's our act of worship. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in a lot of ways, what we've done and what you just described was swinging the pendulum too far away from something that is objectively harmful. The replacement for bad theology is not no theology. Right. It's good theology. Yes. And specifically with the sacraments, this is an interesting one because I've I've told many people sacraments are where I feel most connected uh-huh. to the church body. Uh, I I do the music right. at our church, and I don't feel as connected as I do because I've grown to to embrace the mystery of God's presence within things like communion right. and things like baptism. I mean, God has to be present yeah. in those things. It's not just this, this expression the, uh, that, that we do to remember something, but God is physically present somehow. Right. I'm, not, I'm not going so far to say as God's flesh is right. in communion, because I don't think that that's necessarily supported by the scriptures, but I think that mysteriously, God is here right. doing something within that. And, and you, you mentioned it, it's not just to pick one of these things to emphasize, but it's a consummate interlocking of all the places that we can worship God, that we can feel His presence, and that we can give our lives to Him. So while the gathered Christian context is something important that we need to know what is happening and where God is, when we leave a church building, God is still present with us, and we can still give our lives through the words that we use, the way that we spend our time, the way we look at other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So we see that God invites us into a new lifestyle. I mean, when when Paul talks about the old is gone and the new has come, Mm -hmm. speaking about your life in particular... He really means it. He means that God has invited you into a place where you can 
put away the old desires right. and you can walk in Christ's life. Yes. Absolutely. Which which will be more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think that it's just, you know, okay, you've accepted Jesus. Now just make it until death and then right. things are gonna be better. I just truly think that we're blessed yeah. to walk in Christ's life. And that may may not be tangible, but it may be the way that we look at the world that we right. see just how blessed we are. And that that blessed Again, this is probably a word that has a little bit of baggage because we look at it a certain way in America. We look at blessed as being having more status or having more money. Um, blessed may look very different, and it may mean even through hardship, right? We've just gone through the Beatitudes in our our verses of the week, and, and we see people being blessed that are not in great circumstances. But Jesus says these are the people who are blessed. Um, I, I want to jump right back um, real quick, Nathan, to something you said. You know, you talked about... Um, what's important to you during a worship service. Um, I want to ask you as the worship director here, worship and discipleship director at Celebration, having the term worship in your job title, does that carry baggage? Does that make, does it make worship difficult for you when it is part of your job? Yes. Were you wanting more? Yeah, please. (laughs) So I've really... Since since coming on to the staff full time, I've really seen this change uh-huh. a little bit more um, to being that you know if I pray during a worship service, it is very easy for me to say, "Oh, I've checked the box on on mm. being a prayerful person." Yeah. I prayed today. I prayed something that that I really meant with other believers. My Christian life has to be nurtured outside of my vocational context. Yeah. So while I I do sing for you know a couple hours every week both right. at encounter and and at weekend services that does not satisfy hmm. always the authentic experience of being seen by God, yeah. being vulnerable in the presence of God, to, to say the things that I that I need to say to God. Um, sometimes the the words that, that we say as a as a community may not satisfy that requirement. Not that I think that the words that we say are are cheap or sure. or invaluable, but they may not be communicating what I need to communicate. Yeah. They may be communicating uh, some some eternal truths. Mm-hmm. You know, if we sing a song like Amazing Grace. Yeah, that speaks to me, but it may not speak to the certain situation in which I find myself. So I, I I do find that it's a struggle to separate what I do to get paid yeah. <laughs> and and what I do to really nurture a life of of devotion to God. Sure. I, I can I can understand that and I, I can relate to that too. If I'm if I'm Doing the message for the weekend, and I'm I'm preparing for that. I will spend hours in in scripture and in in resources, digging through um, you know the meanings behind the scriptures and and trying to more deeply understand what the scripture is saying. And not that in that study, there's not personal growth that comes from that, because absolutely there is. 
But if that's the only time I open up the Bible and that's the only time I allow God to, to speak to me, that's really going to limit my personal growth. Yeah. Uh, because again, it's 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 doing something for my job that the benefit of, of studying the scriptures can also benefit me personally. But if all I'm doing is only reading scripture whenever I have to because I'm supposed to give a message, I'm really missing the point of personal growth and a personal relationship with, with God. Yeah. Seeing... Christian activities as a means to an end yeah. um, can be a really, really dangerous For thing. sure. Um, if I say, man, I, I really need to um, connect this scripture well so that we understand why we're, we're memorizing it for the verse of the week, mm-hmm. I could go into deep study and it would be of good intentions yeah. to help our community of faith understand why we anchor our lives around the values that are given within the Bible. Mm -hmm. If I'm not letting that transform me into the person that I'm, that I'm preaching about, right. right, Then my heart is far from God and he's had enough of my burnt offerings. So there is this very fine line to walk in between what I do for my job and what I do for my relationship with God, for so, my 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 life of devotion to Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. And 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 getting us kind of back on track. One of the things that you talked about with the gathered worship is, you know, we kind of come together and we have these opportunities of gathered worship together, but then we we go out and we should be be changed and and have this desire to impact. Um, the people around us because of that. And I think that that really speaks to um, the different types of and acts of worship that we see throughout the New Testament. And, and we see the, the acts of, of the mouth, the praise and the singing, those, those things that we do um, with how we use our words to honor and, and praise God. And a lot of times that happens in a worship service or a small group setting. But then there's also um, the acts of the body. And this is being the hands and feet of Jesus and and what we're willing to do to sacrifice either our own time or our own gain uh, for the good of others, for the good of the gospel, for the good of the Father. And so I think that we see that as kind of the overall theme of, you know, we talked about post-Jesus is what is your worship? What are your words? What are you saying? What are you revering um, in 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 what you're doing? And then what are you doing with your hands and your feet? Yeah. How are you loving other people? How are you living out the things that you're hearing? How are you living out the things that you are saying? Your act of worship is, you know, we're we're told that faith without works is dead, right. not because we need the works to be saved. Right. We are saved through our faith in Jesus. But those acts of worship with our hands and feet, the way we serve and love others, is it shows the devotion and the reverence that we have in our heart for Him. Right. And I think that it's important to think about salvation very specifically. In a lot of ways, one of the dangers of talking about salvation in a way of, oh, I accept Jesus, and then my eternal future is, is secure, is that it can be looked at as transactional. Right. I believe this, therefore I am guaranteed this. My my currency of belief buys my product of salvation. Right. Salvation is transformative. Right. 
salvation is the act of welcoming us into the kingdom of God to then where we are subjects to live as the kingdom of God is supposed to be. We are the body of Christ, right? We are the functional working of Jesus here on earth. It's not going to be perfect until he comes back, but that doesn't mean that our activity means nothing. It means that I must be willing to perform those duties. And I think one place that we can look uh, that, that is helpful for uh, answering the question, how might I live once I'm saved is, is Acts 2:42 through 47. And I'm just going to read that right now. Yeah. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for us in postmodern America? Yeah. It means that one, to live as Christ dictates, we have to be yoked to other believers. Right. We have to gather with them to give thanks to God for who he is and what he has done. Then we serve others with the same vision of them as image bearers as Jesus saw us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's very good. This, you know, worship is this, this inner decision, this inner commitment to constantly be in devotion to what Jesus has called us to. And that's to love one another. That's to honor him. That's to live our lives not for ourselves, but for the things that he's called us to. Mm-hmm. And he's called us to to die to ourselves, that he must become greater, I must become less. It's all throughout Scripture, yeah. that, that we lay down our personal selfish wants and desires for the good of him. And a lot of times that looks like how are we loving each other. So when we talk about practically applying... Um, a theme, a, a huge theme that people will have to work out over their entire lives. What are some ways that you would would suggest making people more aware of how they're worshiping? Because we're all worshiping mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Um, but how we're worshiping, what we're worshiping, and making that line up with our perceived values a little bit. More. Sure. You know, I've, and I don't, I don't think this is an all encompassing perfect thing, but I, I've heard it said before, if you want to know what you worship, look at your calendar and your checkbook, mm-hmm. uh, right? Look at your bank account and your, your calendar. And if it's filled with a bunch of, of selfish things and selfish expenses, then you're kind of answering for yourself. Um, you know, and, and so I, I think that, I think it comes back to that kind of self-evaluation and self-reflection of, you know, yeah. as I as I look ahead at my week, where where am I going to be spending my time? Am am I spending it on on things that are advancing um, myself or advancing the gospel? Am yeah. I spending spending that time doing things that I want to do um, the whole time, or am I balancing that with loving other people and doing what God's calling me to do? Um, and and you know, looking back at at and and I mean. Honestly, I think that that's something that I think self-reflection is something that 
that we don't do near enough, um, whether that's because of our busyness or, or whatever's going on in our life. But in the morning, in the evening, at a certain time each week, to schedule in a time to just set and ponder and think about what we've been doing and what we're planning on doing, I think that could be eye-opening. Because I think, again, like we talked about, I don't think these are conscious decisions that that we make to to be selfish or to right. do selfish things, but it's one of those things that when we're not conscious of it, when we're not being focused on what we're doing and we're not evaluating ourselves, we can very easily get stuck in those worldly desires and those selfish desires and, and set aside everything else that maybe is a little harder. One of the most healing things that I have picked up in my, my recent um, time with God and, and listening to godly people is that Jesus always invites us into something better. Sure. He doesn't discourage us into living like him. Right. And instead of saying, oh, I need to look at my schedule to look at how unholy I am, right. might we reframe that as, I can reclaim my time yeah. to give it to things that I truly care about. Mm-hmm. It, it It is a way for me to separate myself from saying my life, my life, my schedule is my own. Yeah. Um, and to saying that my life has been ransomed mm-hmm. and it's not my own. So I need to live in the way that, um, that Jesus desires that I live. So I, I actually completely agree with you. I think that the first thing is, is self-reflection. Yeah. And, and I think that going back to that idea of transactional versus transformational, yeah. I don't think it's, again, this thing that's like, hey, I've got to give up this to be able to do right. this. Because there's something just crazy about when we dedicate ourselves to what God's calling us to do is, is one of two things. Either all of a sudden it seems like there's more time in the day to get something done because he has multiplied that for us somehow, right. or our desires change to the things that are of the heart of God instead of our selfish things. Um, And so, you know, it's not this idea of, well, if I'm going to do what God's calling me to do, that means I can't have any more fun and I've got to get rid of this stuff. Um, We will begin to be transformed by what we're doing and, and the heart of what we're doing. And all of a sudden, when we're walking in step with God, the times where I'm, I'm at most peace are the times where I am fulfilling to the best of my abilities, what God's calling me to do. Right. doesn't mean I get everything right. doesn't mean that I, 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 there's not a day that goes by where I don't screw something up. But when I am and am more focused on what God's calling me to do instead of my to-do list or my busyness or my frustrations or whatever it is, those are the times where I am at most, most peace. Those are the times where I feel like I have more yeah. time in the day, where I feel like this is who I am and this is what I'm supposed right. to be doing. So there's a positive tangible benefits for making time to be a worshipful person. Absolutely. Now I want to, um, I'm going to go a little bit out there okay. with um, some developmental psychology. Okay. So there's this old dead guy named Vygotsky okay. and he talks about something called the zone of proximal development. Okay. So I want you to imagine a graph, right? X-axis. I, I have is... a blind mind's eye, so I literally can't picture anything. <laughs> That's right. We've had this discussion yes, before. Yes, we have. I'm one of those like two percent of people who, when you say close your eyes and picture an apple, I cannot can't do, do it. it. 
That's I amazing. But for I, everyone who's listening, yes. listen to Science I'll, Nate I'll over here sure, and he'll explain it to I'll you. I'll make sure that I link a picture of this in the show <laughs> Perfect. notes I'll, I'll well. look at that. Yes. So on, on the x-axis is a measure of competency. And then on the y-axis is a, a measurement of um, challenge. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is you have to make sure that the level of challenge is just above the level of competency. So if you're too competent for a, the challenge that you have, you're going to be bored sure. and never get anything done. If the level of challenge is too high for the competency, then you're never going to be able to be successful and you'll be discouraged. discouraged. So for the person who has never tried to engage outside of attending a service, yeah. um, we have to take... Uh, in, and look at where our level of competency is and then shoot for a challenge that we can be successful in. Yeah. You don't become Mother Teresa overnight, right. right? So if I have the best of intentions and I say, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to spend time in worship, I'm going to think about what I'm singing, I'm going to serve people with the heart of Jesus for three hours a day, <laughs> It's not. I'm, n- I'm never yeah. going to be... Uh, successful, and then I'm going to internalize that failure on my walk as a Christian. Yeah. What I would suggest is five to ten minutes a day. Yeah. Carve out five to ten minutes a day. Maybe you put on a song mm-hmm. and you think about what that's saying and what that's revealing about God. Maybe you stay in a scripture for a week. We have these verses of the week yeah. that we can read all of the context around them and just think about what. God is trying to reveal to us through that scripture. As we become more and more competent, as that becomes an internalized part of our rhythm, then we can increase time. We can increase challenge. But without that underlying competency, we'll always frustrate ourselves. Sure. Well, and and I think that, um, you, you know, it... Do the do the next right thing. You know that's a that's a principle of bettering yourself that that isn't necessarily a Christian principle in and of itself. But I, I think you're right. Make that decision. And and I know that sometimes you know when you talk about getting into the Word and starting to get in that, if you haven't developed that habit, a lot of times the question is, where do I start? I don't know what to do. And 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 the right answer to that is there's no wrong way to do it. Um, God will honor that time, however you do it. That being said. Jump into the Gospels. Jump into to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read the story of Jesus from birth to to resurrection and and that life changing um, story of of who Jesus is is a, is a great place to start. And 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 I would say that as you begin to do that five to ten minutes, and you're doing that faithfully, and you're seeing God honoring that commitment you're making, you're just going to be it's naturally going to be a desire to do it more than five minutes and do it more than 10 minutes. But I, I agree wholeheartedly, Nathan, to say, okay, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to spend two hours in the word and prayer and doing this every single day, starting tomorrow. That's not a recipe for success. That's setting yourself up for something that's just not going to be attainable right out of the gate. New Year's resolution syndrome, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, if you're listening to this, I, I think just be encouraged by the fact that God will honor 
the little things Absolutely. and he will aid you by the power of the Holy Spirit to grow into the bigger things. So as we continue our quest in trying to fulfill the plan of God for our lives, God will increase our competency and he will increase our challenge. Yeah.